You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Jason Kemp. Hey, we've been in a a series called Restored, um, where we've been walking through the minor prophets of Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Um, we are on the second, uh, second half of the book of Joel, which for me has been very hard. Um, this is not, it, Hosea was a lot easier. I was familiar with that story. It's kind of in present tense of God asking Hosea to do these really weird and things that kind of demonstrate God's character. I'm like, okay, I can get that. And then you get to Joel and it's kind of this, the timeline is not super clear. And Joel's talking about the day of the Lord and there's three different days of the Lord and it's prophecy. And I just, yeah. So I am very thankful for Randy's devotionals this week. Um, if you haven't tuned in online on YouTube or on a podcast, um, you can catch up on his devotionals where he talks about some of this. Very grateful for ministries like um, the Bible Project, uh, Spoken Gospel, um, that help outline some things like this. And so I'm going to try and bring the muddiness of my mind into a great clarity this morning. So good luck. Um, <laughs> Um, what we see here in Joel is Joel is talking about three great and terrible days of the Lord. And one is past tense for Joel. One is a near future, which for us is actually past tense because he's prophesying about the coming of Jesus. And then the third day of the Lord is the final day of the Lord where Jesus returns. And so in this, we see Joel essentially giving a progressive revelation to the Israelites of God's judgment and his mercy. And so we see that in these great and terrible days of the Lord. And what's interesting is that here again, we are seeing this maybe tension, or maybe it's this complementing of judgment and mercy. You know, our previous series, Imago Dei, we talked about that same, that same tension of grace and truth. And then in Hosea, we, it was called love and justice. And now here in, Jose, in Joel, it's called mercy and judgment. And so we're seeing this picture of God's character that on one side is his truth, his justice, his judgment. And on the other side of God's character is his love, his grace, and his mercy. And these things are not intention that, that one justifies the other. And that's what Joel is talking about here. And and the other reason that this has been a hard book for me is that there is a huge gut check in this book for us to look at our own lives, to look at our sin. And that isn't just something that we look at on Tuesday and go, all right, well, it's Wednesday. I got it figured out. It's something that we struggle with each and every day, week after week, month after month. And so this is a heart check kind of book. Is the first half that Zach taught through last week talks about this cycle that Israel gets into. That Israel sins and then God sends judgment on that sin. In Joel, we saw, um, Zach was telling us about the locust, right? And the second day of the Lord talks about um, the, the armies that are coming into Jerusalem. That God sends judgment on that sin and then Israel laments, they repent. 
and God will restore Israel back into relationship with him. And that cycle just kind of circles through the Old Testament. We see that over and over. That in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, here is Joel's plea as he finishes up talking about this cycle. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. So if you want three words that rhyme nicely, you could say lament, repent, and God will relent, right? So there's the book of Joel. But the challenge last week was to rend our hearts, as Joel said. And Zach talked about that, you know, in, in Israel, they would rend their clothing, they would tear their, they would just be in sorrow, and, and they would show that physically and outwardly by rending their clothing. But God says, I want you to rend your hearts, not just your clothes. Your clothing is on the outside, your heart is on the inside. So the question to us is that challenge, have we dwelt on our sin? Have we allowed that heart check, that gut check, to really resonate within us? God, is there something in me that is offensive to you? Have we dwelt on our sin? And have we dealt on it, dealt with it? Have we asked God to forgive us? Have we repented of our sin? Because the second half of the book of Joel is about how God responds when we repent or the lack thereof that if we choose to oppose God what will happen and so verse 18 of chapter 2 begins this story that Joel is describing the second which is a near day of the Lord in Joel's timeline for us that is in past tense of when Jesus came and he's explaining a third day of the Lord in the future that is final that God will relent in his justice and restore us in his mercy. Because there is hope in the mercy of God. There is hope. And that's what Joel, even in the midst of this weird text about locusts and armies and the devastation, Joel is letting us know that there is hope in the midst of God's mercy. And so this first, this or this near day of of sorry, this near day of the Lord that Joel is explaining is the day of Jesus when Jesus comes. In 2.18, it says, then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. And so here in chapter two, Joel begins to describe what happens at this, the second day of the Lord where he restores and he defeats and he dwells. So let's look at that. In verses two, 20 and 21 of chapter two, God shows that he defeats the invasion. The agents of judgment that have been called to judge sin, God defeats them. He drives them into the wastelands. He drives them into the sea. And God defeats the agents of judgment. And then in verse 22, it begins to talk about how he restores the land. That everything that the locusts destroyed in the first chapter, God restores back. That the trees will bear fruit again, the, green, the fields will be green, it will rain again, there will be grain and new wine and olive oil. That God will restore what the invaders took. And then in verse 27 is God's presence to dwell with us. 
that you will know that I am among my people of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. God promises that on the day of the Lord, he will defeat the agents of judgment, he will restore the land and he will dwell with the people. And then in chapter three, or actually beginning in verse 27 of chapter two through the chapter three, Joel begins to explain this last day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord where he calls the nations together. Let's read together in Joel chapter three, verses nine through 13. Say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all of your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, all you nations everywhere. Gather together in the valley. And now, O Lord, call out your warriors. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the grapes, for the winepress is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. God calls the nations of the world together in the valley of Jehoshaphat. See, in the earlier days of the Lord, when Israel was sinning, God would send judgment upon the people of Israel. But here in this final day, God is not sending judgment. He is calling the nations in to render judgment. That the valley of Jehoshaphat just simply means the Lord judges. It's not a future the Lord will judge. It is a present the Lord judges. That the nations come and then there's the beautiful picture that God sits it says, there I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment. God's power, his judgment, his truth is so strong. He doesn't even have to fight the armies. He sits and pronounces judgment. That the Valley of Jehoshaphat represents the day of decision, a day of the verdict, where it has been determined that you have stood against God, and so now I judge the nations. And his power is unleashed in its fullness. And no one, not one nation in that army, not one nation or army in that valley can stand against the Lord's judgment. But in verse 316, right after that, we hear the Lord's voice. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel. See, in the midst of his judgment, in the midst of his power, God has chosen mercy. And so he shields his own people, those who have called out to his name, who have aligned with the Lord he shields them from his judgment. That the day of decision, the day of verdict is for those who stand in opposition, who stand against the Lord. So in that final day of the Lord, that great and terrible day, evil 
will be judged and God will shield his people with his mercy. And then in verses 17 through 21 of chapter 3, just as in chapter 2, God says, I will restore the land and I will bring back what the locusts destroyed. In verses 17 through 21, on this final day of the Lord, it says that in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. Water will fill the stream beds of Judah and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple, watering the arid valleys of the Acacias. You see, God says, in this final day, I'm taking it to the top. I'm not just gonna make the trees bear fruit. I am gonna spring up a fountain that will water all the land. The wine and the, the milk, it will flow from the hills for you. That God is not just saying that I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this, this thing for you. I'm gonna do this great and glorious thing for you as I restore my creation and then as we talked about, God not only defeats evil, he not only restores his creation, but he promises to dwell with us. And in the last verses of chapter through two, we're gonna back up just a little bit because Joel kind of ties these things together between the second and the third days of the Lord. Joel chapter two, beginning in 28 through 32, this is the promise of the spirit that is for us. So then, after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. And these will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. In the Old Testament, God poured out his spirit on the kings, on the priests, on the leaders of that day. God... In the Old Testament, we don't see a picture of God pouring out his spirit on all people as Joel is here prophesying. And so when God pours out his spirit, it's not just for the leaders, it's for us. Men and women, young and old, it doesn't matter, servants alike. It doesn't matter our status. God is gonna pour out his spirit on us. And we see that happen in the day of Pentecost after Jesus is crucified and he ascends back into heaven, the spirit falls on the, the apostles, on the disciples. And they receive the spirit of God. We receive the spirit of God. And his promise in the Old Testament is that he would dwell among the Israelites. That the temple, the Holy of Holies is where God's presence was at. And so he dwelt in and among them in the center of their community. But in the New Testament, the promise of his spirit is within us. God's presence does not reside in this building. The spirit of God resides in us. And that is the promise for us here in Joel that we see. That God will come, he will defeat evil, he will judge sin. He will restore his creation and give us his spirit to live within us. God's judgment and mercy is made complete in this third 
and final day of the Lord. So one of the things that Joel is doing here is that he's explaining that Jesus is going to come twice. We see this now because we were on this side of the cross, but when Jesus was walking this earth, they thought this is the day of judgment. Jesus has come to set things right with the Romans, and we are going to be good. He is coming in judgment and power, and we are good. But instead, Jesus gave up his life on the cross. He suffered, and he died for our sin on the cross. And he did that because in the earlier days of the Lord, God comes to confront evil and save his people. He saves the nation of Israel. They are restored back to God and that cycle goes on and on and on. But when Jesus comes back or when Jesus comes the first time and he's born as a baby, he comes to bring mercy into the story, to satisfy that judgment with his mercy. And that mercy is then spread across this earth to all people, that the promise of his spirit is for all people. And so he gives us the great commission to go and make disciples. And then in Acts 1.8, we see the other words of go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let my mercy be known to the people. And so we see in the two comings of Jesus that the first time he comes to bring mercy, the last time in that great and terrible day of the Lord, he will come to bring judgment and mercy for all time. Not just to save the people of Israel, but to save all people, to save the world. God's judgment and his mercy are on full display through this great and terrible day of the Lord. And so what we want to see this morning is, our big idea this morning is that mercy is greater than judgment. That God shields his people in the light of his judgment. Because of his mercy. And we're living somewhere between the second and third day of the Lord. And and so what does all this mean for us? I mean, if mercy is greater than judgment, what is, I mean, are you saying that judgment is diminished? Is justice or truth less than? Not at all. Because the first thing we see here is that judgment is sure. Judgment is sure that the armies are called to the Valley of Jehoshaphat for judgment. And God's wrath, God's judgment is full, it is powerful, it is strong. And what that means for us is that we live in a day that is just absolutely crazy, right? We, I mean, what is going on in our culture today? At one point in this nation, values aligned. Whether you were Christian or you were not Christian, there, there was some alignment of value and that kind of brought comfort to the church, right? But today, culture is, there, there was a fork in the road and a lot of people took it. And we don't know exactly how to fix that. God's judgment is sure. And so in our culture, I don't feel threatened with what's going on. 
There might be consequences, there might be inconveniences that I have to go through in my life because of a culture that's shifting away from values that, that I hold dear. But in the end, I do not feel threatened because we've made it 2,000 years. I think God's word is gonna make it through our culture. His word stands forever. But on that third and final great and terrible day of the Lord, it will be called to judgment. When we stand in opposition to God, God's judgment is sure. But also, God's mercy protects. Even in the sureness of God's judgment, God's mercy is stronger because he chooses to shield us in light of his judgment because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you're fairly new to Christianity or you're just kind of checking out church and kind of what's going on, I mean, I kind of grew up hearing this image of, you know, well, maybe God is sitting up on a, on a cloud just waiting to, <laughs> gotcha, you stepped out of line, you're done. Does God sit up on a cloud just waiting to zap us? Is that what his judgment means? Or is God sitting on a cloud Maybe not a cloud. Maybe God is here. <laughs> but is God just waiting for us to call on his name? Not waiting for us to step out of line, but waiting for us to call on his name. Because his mercy is stronger than his judgment. God's judgment is sure, but his mercy will shield us from his own judgment because of Jesus. Joel 2 Verse 32, and we hear this verse quoted in the New Testament time over again. Joel 2, 32 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape just as the Lord has said and these will be among the survivors or the remnant in some translations whom the Lord has called. In verse two it says that is why the Lord has said Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. The New Testament completes that second day of the Lord, that near day of the Lord that Joel is describing. Where Jesus could have come in judgment that day. He could have walked on this earth for 33 years and is facing the cross going, you know what? It's not worth it. Let's just judge it. Let's just be done. Let's, let's just... Take care of evil, let's judge it and move on. But in God's great love, he had mercy for us by sending Jesus. Luke chapter 23 shares some language that we hear in Joel. Let's listen to the story of Jesus on the cross and how this comes full circle for us. That one of the criminals hanging beside him, hanging beside Jesus, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me 
in paradise. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. The great and terrible day of the Lord had just occurred. That with his last breath, Jesus modeled for us, I give you my heart. Just as the words in Joel say, I give you my heart. And in that moment, God came in judgment, but instead placed his son on the cross for our sin. Instead of judging our sin, he judged his son on the cross and chose to give us mercy. And just like the thief on the cross who called out in the name of the Lord, remember me today. Joel says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You will be shielded in mercy from that great and terrible day. A lot of translations call it the great and glorious day, that the word glorious and terrible kind of mean the same thing. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe it's depending on which side of the fence you sit on. The terrible day of judgment is the glorious day of mercy. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.